0: Okay, good morning. Welcome to our class on Redemption of Women in the Bible. Um, I'm thrilled to do it. My name's Joyce McDonnell. <clears throat> Virginia Beach holds a very special place in my heart. My husband and I are from Canada. We left the ministry in '03, and Virginia Beach welcomed us. <laughs> um, they had no idea what they were getting, <laughs> uh, but we are so grateful. And uh, if God called us back here... In a flash, (laughs) we would be back, but we're now in Pittsburgh loving it. Um, I'm a redeemed woman, let me just tell you that. (laughs) So uh, I'm thrilled to talk about this, and especially there's a new idea that I've learned. It's not new, but it's new to me, um, that I want to be able to share about redemption of women. And I'm so grateful, first of all, to say that um, I feel the movement started looking at grace I think we were afraid to talk about grace because we didn't want to swing the pendulum and pray Jesus into our heart. (laughs) Um, But the whole idea of grace and and how God uses grace and grace is through the whole scriptures. So but I think as I've been looking at an idea of redemption, that there's another aspect that we haven't talked about. And that's the exciting part for me that I want to keep talking about. So let's say a quick prayer. Um, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to um, be redeemed women. Uh, God, how you've pursued us, loved us, continue to love us. Um, Father, thank you that uh, you revealed this in the scriptures early on and that your love story has never ended. Father, please be with us in this time. Thank you for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin, evil, or error. It's also the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. So you're going to hear these kinds of words either when we read a passage that says redemption or when we talk about the women. And we'll see something about either debts being canceled or sins being forgiven, or something special is happening. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. This tells us something really special. It says, referring to God, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time okay we think oh yeah Old Testament New Testament cross grace redemption it was planned before the beginning of time so God knew that we would need to be redeemed he knew that humanity was going to need redemption and I love how Paul tells us that that uh, in his letter to Timothy so here's a really superficial outline of redemption all right. Genesis 1 and 2 creation yeah, Genesis 3 1 to 14 the fall yeah. humanity falls verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3 all the way through Revelation 20 are a bunch of redemption stories. It's just redemption, redemption, redemption. And then Revelation 21 and 22 is restoration. We're all brought, we're the bride. We're all brought back the way God intended us to be in Genesis 1 and 2. So there's the full circle. That's just a broad stroke, but everything in between is a redemption story. I want to read Genesis 3.15 because here's the promise of redemption. It's our first messianic prophecy. It says, God speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So that's God saying, Jesus will crush Satan's head, because he was speaking to the serpent in that verse. So from 315 on is just <laughs> redemption, stories of redemption happening. And he promises that he is sending a seed that is going to crush Satan. So Satan's the reason we need redemption, but God loves us. He created us for a relationship with him. Therefore, that's why he redeems us simply because he loves us so let me give you a few passages again I have them written out already if you want to just write down uh, the verse Leviticus 25 excuse me the whole passage is about jubilee the year of jubilee that's when all the Israelites everything was able to go back to um, the, the people who had owned. Slaves could be um, set free. Uh, ownership of land could be um, redeemed. So verse 25, we're gonna start hearing this concept in Leviticus 25. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. There, we're starting to hear about that relative redemption, that relative kinsman who's going to come and redeem. God's already telling the the, um, Israelites how to redeem everybody. Some of us want a year of Jubilee more than every 50 years. (laughs) Um, Psalm 49, verse 7 and 8. Listen to how powerful this is. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly, no payment ever enough. Wow. You see Jesus coming in that, that one, right? This is the Psalms, but you see no payment is ever enough. <clears throat> Psalm 119, I mean, sorry, Psalm 111, verse 9. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. I want you to hear these two key words. Redemption and covenant. Covenant is a theme in redemption. Okay, so, and he says he ordained it forever. Ephesians 1.7 seven. In him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption, grace, the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9, 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So now with Jesus, it's not just, oh, pay back the land, restore something like that. With Jesus, eternal redemption. God's nature is a redeemer. He is a redeemer. He knew we would need it. Before the beginning of time, it tells us his character, his nature is a redeemer. It was his intentional plan. And one thing then that we have to understand is God's nature never changes. I think we hear that in the religious world or, or people who don't really know God. They're like, oh, he's this cut you off in the Old Testament. And then, in the, oh, it's all love and dovey in the new. But God never changes. The only difference in the new is he comes in the flesh so that we can actually see him operate. But God's character has never changed. So redemption from old to new is just this love story that just keeps going around. And, you know, God's leading it. Um, but we see the eternal redemption that's going to come because of Jesus. <clears throat> so Jesus incarnate is God in the flesh. And he becomes our eternal redeemer So the humanity of God is on display in Jesus. We see that's how we can try and figure out what does it look like? Because God was so gracious to give a human example of it. And, uh, you know, it's this unfolding revelation then of God's um, character. His complete identity is wrapped up in Jesus. We see him in the flesh. And I think this unfolding revelation, okay, let's say it. Here's a cocoon kind of like in the Old Testament, and then there's this metamorphosis, and there's this beautiful butterfly. We can picture that, but that's what he's doing, and so in a covenant relationship with God, we become his daughters, and he's our ultimate kinsman redeemer. That's what we see in Jesus. There's a beautiful passage. There's a lot of depth to it. I love sharing this passage when I'm studying the Baptism with people, um, their ba- their upcoming baptism. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hmm, old covenant, but we're talking to people in the new, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So that whole, there's a debt paid, but right, no ransom can pay enough. But Jesus takes it away. And it's that whole idea that now in redemption, we're no longer a slave to sin. He adopts us. He, he, he doesn't just forgive. He brings us into his family, into this loving covenant relationship. So as we study the Bible, and specifically women, trying to understand redemption, we want to look for the redeeming nature of God. The redeeming nature. <clears throat> so whether it's the Old Testament foreshadowing the seed that's going to come, and we see God redeeming, or the New Testament as it fully bears witness um, to Jesus and God in the flesh, how he redeemed. So, old or new, it's happening until Revelation 21. There's redemption going on. So, we want to see how every story, and this should help us in our personal Bible study, when we're studying with friends, sharing, even teaching our children about forgiving each other and, and, um, uh, you know, how we love one another is that every story fits into this plan, that someone, God, is trying to bring back to him. But not everyone takes it, we know that in the stories. There are some women we won't look at, but they didn't want redemption. And we don't want to be like that, not at all. So um, knowing God's nature will help us understand and appreciate even more redemption. Actually, understanding God's nature because it's His nature to redeem us. So, we have what is it about His nature? Well, because God loves me, because He loves you, He redeems us. So, He forgives us, cancels our debt, He makes the payment for sin. And the challenge with trying to understand God's nature, though, is we have this little issue with our language. We use the word love for everything. The Greeks had a word for love, for, for um, a few words for love, but the Hebrew had a different word. And this is where I'm starting to learn a little bit more about redemption through the Hebrew view of love. So we've kind of heard about agape, that's unconditional. We, we may have heard about Storge, which is family, and Phileo, brotherly love. But that's brotherly, sisterly, family, unconditional. But it doesn't always talk about compassion, grace, mercy. It doesn't talk about discipline, punishment. But to the Hebrew reader, it did. So the Hebrew concept, um, the word is hesed love, whereas the Greek used um, different. So when the, when the Hebrew word, Bible, was um, translated, they call that the Greek Septuagint. It's the Hebrew Bible. So the Greek would use, in the Old Testament, they would describe this as loving kindness in the Septuagint. And then the New Testament would use grace or mercy. But to the Hebrew standing back, their view is Hesed love. God's nature is Hesed love. So this is where we're gonna get a little bit more into understanding God's nature of Hesed love. So then it's gonna teach us a little bit more about redemption and our responsibility in redemption. H-E-S-E-D, Hesed love. So listen to this passage. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. I believe this is a key passage to paint the picture you're going to hear a description that God self-proclaims of himself. And you're not just going to hear one word, but to the Hebrew, they hear Hesed love. Okay, so listen. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so now you've got a whole new picture of God's nature. He's just described himself, but the Hebrew reader understands this concept of hesed. Yeah. That's what they're hearing, okay? So this all-encompassing view of God. Now when I start thinking of redemption, well there's there's a little bit more listed here than just forgiveness of sins. Yeah. He, he's forgiving because he loves us. He pursues us. He planned it before the beginning of time. But he also doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Right. Okay? So there's four characteristics then of the Hesed love. And this is what I want us to understand when we start looking at the redemption of women. There's four points. First, and they're all interrelated, and you're going to see that. The first part is the benevolence or kindness of Hesed love, that it's actually from the heart. It's not pretentious in any way. There's also the relational idea of community, If you ever want to understand community, we read the Old Testament. It says community, community, community all the time. That's God putting us in community because we need it. And that's how we have covenant relationship with him. The Hebrew reader also understood that chesed love had an obligation of reciprocity. So there's an appropriate return for a gift given. Sometimes we've heard people describe this as a dance of grace. You dance with me and I dance with you. Show me how to dance, God, because I don't know how. Um, But there is an obligation of giving back, reciprocity. And it was understood. It was ingrained in the culture. The other thing that we don't want to assume is when you hear me say, oh, it's free, we think what? It costs nothing. But not with the grace of God. We know it cost him ultimately the the death of his son. So God has an expectation upon his redeemed daughters and sons that we show reciprocity back to him. We'll talk about how we can do that. And then there was one more concept. And this is one that is hitting me more and more is pay it forward. Okay, wait a minute. How do I pay it forward if God's the Redeemer? If we see Jesus' redemption in us. Here's one good example of Hesed love, the unmerciful servant. Yeah. If we were to go back and read Matthew 18, 23 through 35, most of us probably are aware of the story of this man who had this outlandish debt he could never pay in yeah. probably 10 lifetimes. Um, and the king forgives him. <clears throat> then he sees his peer out and about, and this dude owes him maybe like three to four months' worth of a debt, if you look at the monetary values that's used. It was payable, and he showed no mercy. What did the king do? He put him back in prison and said, "When you pay it off, you're free." You see that pay it forward? That's hesed love. That's how God is teaching us to show hesed love. Jesus modeled it. And we'll look at another example that Jesus teaches later. So, when you think of God's grace in our life and redemption, it's not this isolated individual oh loving kindness in the Old Testament or just grace in the New. It's this all-encompassing view of God's nature, and that's why it's so important. Okay, so um, I'm going to skip a couple things here. So in community, we have this communal redemption with one another. And we practice loving kindness, but we also practice grace and reciprocity and paying it forward. So this is important. And when we're studying and looking at women who are being redeemed um, in the Bible, first of all, we see God's character. We see him more clearly. We see him more fully to understand and able to become like him. Right. Mm-hmm. Cocoon, butterfly <laughs> to become like him is to be transformed. We have a spiritual metamorphosis. Um, so we see God's character more more fully with the ability to become more like him. And then also, we see that more is expected of us. It doesn't just stop with Jesus nailing the, you know, legal indebtedness and putting himself there instead of us being um, enslaved to sin. He crushes Satan. We become his daughter. But it's it's not like, okay, I'm in the family. No, he's expecting something from us. And I kind of look at it like this. There's divinity. God, and he comes and redeems. Here's us, humanity. Mm, This cross intersection is what transforms us. So there's the grace intersecting, but transformation then would be our gift back, right? The reciprocity is us going, God, change me through your spirit. Continue to work in my life. My life is a gift back to you. Keep working on my heart. That's why I say I'm a woman redeemed continually being redeemed because we're a work in progress okay so of all of that this transformational grace then in redemption is how we honor God so as we see um, God redeeming women hopefully we'll get to just touch quickly on these women but we're going to see perfect women sin unloved find love prostitutes welcomed barren women blessed intelligent beautiful women save others mental health restored sickness healed adulterers forgiven thirst is quenched the empty filled and the redeemer redeemed so they're not hallmark stories (laughs) no because something's gotta happen with us Um, you need a good cry okay watch a hallmark but it's, it's not some woman just being rescued to find personal love. It's not some good moral story to kind of prick my conscience and then, okay. Um, but every story is telling about a woman who's being rescued from some brokenness. Or perhaps this woman is rescuing someone else from some brokenness because she's paying it forward. Okay? Okay. So we're going to see Hesed love transform us for eternity. All right. Every woman that we look at asks three questions. What do I see in God's nature? Well, the answer is how is he redeeming her? What do I see in God's nature? What do I see in the woman's nature? And then if I'm going to apply that redemption, how is she transformed? How can I be transformed? So the application is transformation. I don't know if we've always looked at that. We look at how God redeems them. We see Jesus in redemption, but the transformation of grace is a gift back and paying it forward. All right, here come the women. We're going to go through this fast so we can stop on time. Eve, the perfect woman. Okay, She was perfect. God created everything good. There was no evil. She is the first perfect woman and only after that. Okay, so what do we see about the woman? She's disobedient. She breaks covenant. Shame. I'm just going to say these things quickly because we can go through and read those. Right. We know she disobeyed. We know she broke the covenant. She was unfaithful. She hides in shame. God, he's merciful. He's forgiving. The redemption of humanity is from her seed. All the way. That was the promise. Judgment. Oh, remember the passage in Exodus 34. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished do you see the judgment out of Eden out of Eden so application transformation what happens here well we live in a broken world now because of this but we can share the promised seed we can share what she was told about we can help reconcile this broken humanity to the seed back to God no one has to live under a cloak of shame not anymore and with God's discipline there's a promise and there's hope it doesn't stop with the discipline does that make sense everything we talked about and now here's the application here's how we transform ourselves okay No time to talk about Sarah and Hagar, though they're in the notes. (laughs) Leah, Leah, Genesis 16. Who's Leah? um, I'm sorry, I said 16. Genesis 29. She is the older, unloved, unattractive sister without a mate and without children. So we know that about Leah. Well, what do we know about God? God allows her to marry Jacob first. Discovers her relationship with God through the birth of four sons. We see this. Listen to what she does as she bears four sons to Jacob, the husband who is not attracted to her. Reuben. The Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She's begging. She's in misery and she is begging to be loved. Simeon. Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She's weeping. I'm not loved. Levi. Now at last my husband will become attached to me Because I have borne him three sons She's waiting, longing to be attached And then comes Judah This time I will praise the Lord Oh, and it is through Judah The Lion of Judah That we will find redemption Not the beautiful Rachel, but the unloved unattracted. So where's this application transformation? You know, the world longs for beauty and attraction to fill the need for love. But God fills us beyond rejection. God fills us beyond rejection. Like Jesus, what do we read about him in Isaiah 53? Having no beauty or majesty to attract us, despised and rejected by the world, he becomes a suffering servant of redemption. As Jacob chose the worldly view of Rachel, the world may see us as Leah, but God sees us as Rachel. Amen. And until we say, like Leah, I will praise the Lord, nothing in this life will ever be able to satisfy our eternal thirst. No amount of children, money, husbands, careers, vacations, nice weather, da-da-da-da. nothing. Will quench it Mm -hmm. until we learn to praise the Lord. It took four children (laughs) till she figured it out, but God redeemed her Mm -hmm. through that. Rahab, Mm, Joshua 2, the foreign prostitute. First of all, she's labeled, Uh, she's an idolater. She's not a Hebrew woman. She's an idolater. She's not in covenant with God. She's a foreigner, a prostitute, therefore not faithful and not loyal. All the things we know about who God is, faithful, loyal, and covenant. God, he sees her faith, her courage, and he uses this foreign prostitute to hide the spies. In loving kindness, Hesed love, he saves her family, herself from destruction, brings them to live among the Israelites, and then we learn she too becomes in the line of King David, showing mercy to the guilty, disobedient enemies. Incredible redemption by God. Well, what's the transformation? No one is beyond God's reach. Amen. His grace, His forgiveness, His love, community. Every single person we meet is intended for grace, Amen. compassion, forgiveness, Amen. kindness, love, community. Regardless of age, gender, citizenship, race, color, language, social status, rich or poor, committed sins. No one. Rahab shows us that no one's beyond redemption. And she found in the God of Israel as we now find in Jesus. Hannah. 1 Samuel 1. She is a barren, provoked and irritated to weeping bitterly. She's downhearted and deeply troubled. Those are descriptors of her. God, God delivers her from barrenness and opens her womb. He answers her prayer and redeems her dignity before Peninnah the one who provoked her to weep bitterly. So what's the application? Where's the transformation? It says, Hannah says, I asked the Lord for him. Be honest, real. Cry out of pain. Cry out of loss and grief. Even if you look drunk. That's what Eli thought. Allow God to take away the deep trouble. Don't be afraid to give back to God. Hannah lived up to her promise to give Samuel over to grow up in the presence of the Lord. Wow. Like Jesus, we may need to weep with others in their despair. Remember Mary and Martha, Jesus wept but we point one another to God's ultimate redemption in our lives. Amen. Abigail. Abigail. 1 Samuel 25. I love these descriptors. You just got to go back and read them all. So that's why we're just painting the, the, the little picture. She's married to a very wealthy, surly, mean, insulting, drunk, husband. She is facing the destruction of all the men in her household by about 600 of David's men. She will pay the debt her husband refused to. God, it says Abigail was intelligent and beautiful. She does not claim that as her own. But she uses her good judgment, her wisdom. She saves her household. Oh, save, redemption, rescues. I love this passage. She rescues David's conscience from the burden of needless bloodshed and avenging himself from judgment upon Nabal. Redeems his conscience. Wow. She rescues her uh, or God, I'm sorry, is rescuing her from a dishonorable marriage with Nabal to an honorable marriage to David. We know in the end she marries David. What's the application? What's the transformation? Well, use our intellect. (laughs) Use your wisdom. Good judgment from God like Abigail, to listen well. She listened to the servant when he came. He, if he didn't come, there was annihilation. She listened. She spoke to David with humility, with grace, with honor, but she also encouraged him with wisdom to save his conscience. But she also refrained from speaking. When Nabal was drunk, you don't try and reason with a drunk anyone. So knowing when to speak, knowing when not to speak. It talks about without hesitation. You see her act quickly. There's times in helping others or with our own transformation, there's things we need to do quickly. We see what's happening to ourselves. She doesn't hesitate. She brings great words of encouragement. Remember God's promise. He talk, she talks to him about being in the treasure pouch of the Lord. There's validation bound securely, she says, in the treasure pouch of the Lord. Calling back to a right conscience with God. You fight the Lord's battles. That's how we can help one another. Amen. We see someone struggling, remind that sister, you fight the Lord's battles. Give the encouragement, whatever's needed. Amen. Mary of Magdala. Luke 8, it says that she was demon-possessed seven times over. If you know anything, seven is a complete number. So she was completely demonized. (laughs) She's ostracized. She's lonely because she would have been put out of community. No one would be around her. How do we see God, Jesus in the flesh, with her? He rescues her from demons, he's compassionate, he's tender, loving, welcoming, gives her a clear mind, and redeems her back into community. We would look at that as a huge mental health issue today. So what's the application? Transformation. Fight to keep people in community. Appropriate direction to meet mental health issues. Tender and compassionate with those hurting and suffering with mental health issues. The bleeding woman, Luke 8, there's several Gospels that talk about her. She's broken, hopeless, helpless, penniless, said she had spent everything. Outside community, fearful. We know all these descriptors. Five minutes. So Jesus is a gracious healer, commends her faith, restores community, restores ability for livelihood, and brings peace back to her life. The transformation. Reach out to Jesus in faith. Help others find community. Provide direction for livelihood. That's what Jesus did by putting her back in community. Today, how can we do that? Help people with their finances, counseling with debt, career, education, maybe parenting, marriage. Be a peacemaker. Daughters of God who reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, we have to skip the Samaritan woman. You can go back and look at her, but here's a half-breed who's thirsting for love. Okay, and she sees the Messiah and she pays it forward to her whole village. Okay? That's all you're getting. The Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, Luke 10. I call this the story of the universal neighbor. Okay? Because we know the priest and Levite walk on the other side, but here's this universal neighbor. I understand him to be Jesus, the Good Samaritan. So... This is about the boundary of community as to who is my neighbor, neighbor actually exceeds my closed community, right? I don't belong just to the Hebrews, to the Levites, or um, my race, my color, my education, my money. Uh, the community is a universal community. So we know that there's a beaten and robbed man who needs rescuing, bandaging, compassion, Payment of care and boarding at the inn. That's what we know the Good Samaritan will provide. So what does God, Jesus, reveal in the Good Samaritan? Don't avoid contact, walking on the other side, or only taking care of your kind, your community. Not limiting his service to, I'll pay for you. Be warm and well-fed. No, he expends his time, he stops, he uses his resources, his bandages, his oil and wine, his own donkey, his denarii, the promise to reimburse and pay back any extra payment. That's the definition of redemption. You see this whole redemption offered. What's the transformation? Well, I feel convicted, (laughs) but that's the whole... Picture of love in action. It's a full picture of redemption, a full circle, and um, just recently, a quick story. There's a sister who has two single, uh, I mean, two teens, and she's a single mom. And it was a tremendous busy week for her, and um, she was having. She works for Ernst and Young and had to um, go out of town, get home really late in Pittsburgh. And because I'd been studying some of this stuff, I was like, oh, normally I would have thought, oh, I'll pray for you. I'll keep you in my thoughts. And then maybe I could have been a little bit nicer and go, oh, I should call someone in her ministry. Hey, you know what? It's really tough for her this week. Do you think you could like, you know, but because honestly, honestly, because of this, I was like, honey, can we go pick up some stuff for three meals, like just to help them? Mm-hmm. And brought it home, you know, prepped it, cooked it, dropped it off. It felt so good. Yeah. It just felt so good to do that. But I can't take the credit. That's just transformation. Yeah. Okay, so what's helped me a lot is reading this book about Ruth and Naomi yeah. the perfect story of redemptions. Yeah. Um, I've been reading a book called *A Loving Life in a World of Broken Relationships*, and I'll try and go through this in three or four minutes. Yeah. But it is one of the best full story, full circle stories of redemption, yeah. and we see the clear foreshadowing of Jesus. Yeah. The whole idea of kinsman redeemer—it's very deep, but it is where someone redeems, remembered the jubilee could redeem property, could pay for something. So who's Naomi? During the time of the judges, there's no leadership, no knowledge of God, the worship of pagan gods, so the anger of God is aroused, Judges 2.10. She's a Hebrew woman from Judah who leaves the promised land with her husband and two sons to live in Canaan, um, specifically Moab, a people born of incest through Lot and his daughter and cursed by God due to their refusal to come to Israel's aid never allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. So we're told that in Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 6. So with the intention, it says, of only staying for a while, 10 years has passed, and sons marry women of Moab, breaking the law, then they die, the husband and children. So there's no one, and feeling empty, lost, deserted, Uh, she is ready to go back to Bethlehem but she has no no one and Naomi sends the daughters back to their own families and she laments her situation saying I'm bitter and no longer pleasant with God she's not wrapped in the shelter of his wings God comes and it says the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them he's gracious He's a helper. He's a provider. So Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem, returning, repenting to where she could potentially see God again. Who's Ruth? Let me go through it quickly. Ruth, she's a Moabite. Her family worshipped Canaanite gods. They were forbidden to enter the assembly of God, but she came to know Yahweh, Jehovah God. She was taught of his, oh, so cool. She's taught of his redeeming grace, his compassion, his sovereignty, his salvage, the salvation of the Israelites from the Egyptians, the conquering of the promised land. She understood the grateful reciprocity his grace expected. So she could not go back to the foreign gods. She had embraced the God of heaven and earth, the Hebrew God. She would now, now follow Naomi back to God's promised land, and help lead Naomi to her own redemption back to God. And this is why she proclaims in chapter 1, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried." May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is Hesed love. It screams it commitment, loyalty, faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, death to self, giving up. Ruth practices redemption by helping Naomi regain possession of her family name, Naomi's family name, and possessions. Simply in paying her debt of gratitude for a relationship with Yahweh. Do you see the hesed completion? Redemption is woven through this love story. It's used 23 times in the short book, and we were introduced to the kinsman redeemer of Boaz. She loves Yahweh, and Yahweh continues to bless her out of his committed, loyal love. So Boaz is the kinsman redeemer in Naomi's family. He buys back the land, but he also marries the widow to preserve the line. He is compassionate. He's caring. He's kind. He's pure. He shows integrity. He's a protector, a shepherd, gracious, generous, and loving. Sounds like a redeemer. He foreshadows Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. He points to Jesus, a promise of love a covenant of grace. He buys us back through his death, forgiveness of our sins before time began. Jesus paid the price of our redemption and the price demanded by the justice of God. His obedience to death on the cross paid the full price of our eternal redemption, a grace-filled eternal covenant with God. Application, and we'll close with this transformation. When we grasp the love of God as our Redeemer, demonstrated in the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, we, like Ruth, can live a life of gratitude, self-sacrifice, loyalty, commitment, extending grace, mercy, generosity, and share a grateful testimony of covenant grace.